Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 13 of the Two Pad Stack podcast brought to you by Primetime Productions. Um, if you haven't noticed, there's been a lot of fun stuff going on over at Primetime. Bunch of new podcasts have come out, some hockey pods, some football pods, a lot of written content that's coming out now, all sorts of uh, sports stuff. So check them out on all socials and uh, keep an eye out. We're continuing to do some really awesome things. And as a reminder, if you are thinking of going to a live event or buying tickets anytime soon, check out SeatGeek. Uh, over here at the Two Pad Stack podcast, we are uh, happy affiliates uh, with SeatGeek. We can even save you 20 bucks off your first purchase if you use our code 2PADSTACKPOD. That's the number two, P-A-D-S-T-A-C-K, pod. All right, now that the uh, the business stuff's out of the way, Burj, you're with us today. How's it going, man? How you been? Ah, uh, doing okay. You know, going through the motions back at work, and uh, obviously, uh, as you might know, I host a uh, one of those NFL podcasts for primetime productions. So I spent uh, my afternoon today watching my New England Patriots lay another fucking egg. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, 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 dude, I'm speechless. I have nothing I can say about it. It's uncharted territory, and uh, Earlier, I was we were messaging back and forth, and uh, you know, I'm in uh, I'm in one of those moods tonight. If we uh, if we end up talking about it, and uh, we, you know, we'll see we'll see where we'll see where this goes. And we've got a we've got ornery Burge in the in the the studio today, so looking forward to, to seeing where that goes. And oh, don't worry, I'll make time to talk about the Patriots on this episode. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so yeah, it's been a, a rather eventful week. Uh, for New England sports specifically, you know, the vast majority of our listeners are here to hear about the Bruins and the season's officially underway. And uh, there's my ESPN fantasy informing me that I'm probably losing. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, Bruins are 2-0. and They have started off the season 2-0. and And if you look at that Atlantic division standings, hell, if you look at the NHL league standing, uh, Bruins are right up there. And uh you know, it feels like it's the same old song and dance from the beginning of last year where everyone's like, oh, you know, it was a little bit more injury driven but at that point, but mm-hmm. Bruins are going to fall off. They're not going to be good. And then what the fuck's up? Bruins are up and uh, happily sitting atop the standings. So they, they ended up taking down the Chicago Blackhawks in the opening night. And then just last night at the time of recording here, we're recording on uh, Sunday evening. The Bruins were uh, able to take down the Nashville Predators. So we'll break down both those games. Um, but before we do that, the uh, I wanted to kind of touch on the Centennial opening ceremony. Um, I know that you weren't necessarily able to watch it live, Burge. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to go back and, and watch that whole event? And if so, what did you think about it? Uh, I didn't really go back and watch the event. I was kind of following, you know, tweet by tweet or post by post on X as they want to call it these days uh, as the, as the guys were coming out, I think we were uh, a lot of us were playing Chell at the time. So we were kind of going through having our conversations about that. Um, a lot of names that, you know, came out on the Centennial roster were, were names that you expected to see. There were a few surprises, I think, um, you know, I know we, <laughs> we can have the conversation about the goalies all day long, but I think um uh, that'd be my lead point is talking about, you know, the two goalies that were selected. I think everybody believed that and knew that Jerry Cheevers was a lock to make this team, you know, Hall of Fame goalie for, you know, the cup winning teams back in the 70s. And uh, so absolutely 100% of a lock to make the team. I think 
a lot of people were surprised by Frank Brimzak being selected. Now, you look back, Frank Brimzak was one of is is one of the best goalies to ever play for the Boston Bruins. We I think we can agree on that. Obviously, well before you and I were ever, you know, even a twinkle in our dad's eyes at that point. So, you know, I think it was before my dad was even born. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Hey, funny story. My my dad actually gifted me an autograph from from Frank Brimzak that he got when he was a kid. I got it. If you look on my back wall above a, the little trash can on the video here, you can see that little collage up there, pictures, and one of those up there is Frank Brimzak. Holy shit, that's cool. Ad- addressed to my dad, so that, that's pretty pretty cool uh, thing to have there. But I, you know, I I don't hate the selection. I, I was just I was caught a little bit off guard by it. I think a lot of people, including myself, thought it was going to be Rask and and Cheevers as the two goalies. Um, just given that Rask holds all the records, uh, you know, in the modern day, you know, a little yeah. bit of maybe a recency bias there. You could call Best it backup goalie the NHL's uh, ever seen. Man, you really want to get me going tonight, don't you? You really do. <laughs> but again, I don't hate the Brimzek piece. I think you could. There was a plenty of yeah of goalies there that you could argue to, to have that second spot so i thought it was interesting as well and 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 i i definitely would get it if they chose rask because there's a little bit of recency bias there too i mean nobody that was in that room selecting players saw frank brimzik play mm-hmm. now there was a lot of folks in that room that would be kind of considered uh you know, hockey historians that would have access to a lot of the stories and and film and stuff like that and and with the Bruins being the, the oldest American franchise in the NHL, I think a lot of attention needs to be paid and and that recency bias needs to be checked at the door so you have an objective opinion about it. But, you know, I don't necessarily think Brimzik should have been con- considered a lock. And we heard from Ty Anderson, who's been really kind in his social media to kind of give us a look behind the scenes and his perspective on how the whole process was because he was involved. He was one of the voting members. Um, he seemed to indicate that a lot of the people that were on that committee just said he was a lock and they weren't really open to discussion outside of that. You know, there is a lot of um, credit that needs to be given to Tuka Rask for the franchise records that he's established as a goaltender, the wins, the, you know, obviously the starts. I think he has the, the record for shutouts too, if I'm not mm-hmm. uh, mistaken, Burge. So, I mean, when you lead the, the the franchise in all of these incredibly critical stats for a goaltender and then the longevity, like Rask technically could have gone if his health held up like another three, four seasons, most yeah, likely. We'd probably still looking at him playing it today, you know? Yeah, I mean, look at what Pekka did. Rene played till he was like 40 or something. And hell, Craig Anderson yeah, he's still played going. until he was like 42. <laughs> he just, just now retired. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that there was definitely a case to be made for Tuca to be in there over Brimzik. I know Ty was definitely pushing for Tim Thomas to be on that list because I guess there was some confusion or maybe discrepancy in opinion on what the uh, defining categories or characteristics would be on, on what makes the team. And Ty was of the opinion. I, I think I'm with him. You know, what makes a player a legendary player? And that run that Tim Thomas went on in 2011 was the epitome of legendary. Like that guy, and don't bring up the name David Krejci to me right now. That guy put the team on his back and was the reason why the Boston Bruins won the cup in 2011. There's a reason why he got the con Smythe. And that just screams legend to me. They broke the 39 year drought mm-hmm. on 
cups in Boston, and uh, Timmy was a big part of that. And I, I think it would have been cool to see Tim Thomas get that get that nod over Brimzik. But once again, I never saw Brimzik play, so I don't have an emotional connection to to what he did. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough too because you can only pick two. All right, you can only pick two goalies to be on this team, and the team, you know, the Bruins have historically always had like really strong goaltending. You know, there's outliers in there, but historically speaking, they've been a strong defensive goaltending type team. And, you know, to Tim Thomas's point, that run he went on in 2011, arguably you can make a strong case that it was the greatest run for a goaltender in the history of the league took for a championship. Absolutely. In the you, you can make that argument. And, you know, a lot of times you're going to come out on top there. Obviously there's been some other fantastic runs that have gone on for a goaltender in, you know, in the playoffs. J.S. Jaguar comes to mind with the ducks. Absolutely. And I think Dominic Kasich had a pretty good run with, uh, you know, back with the Red Wings at one point too. I recall seeing, I, I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure of that, but th- it does happen. And, but arguably, I mean, Tim Thomas put that team on his back. It, without a doubt, every game they lost in that cup finals, they lost, I think it was like by one, maybe two goals. I can't recall the exact scores, but like they were going up against the president's trophy winning team. They were considered an underdog in that series. And he ends up getting a shutout in game seven of that, of, of that series. So arguably, yes, greatest one season run of all time. You can make the argument against him where he wasn't elite for a law, you know, for the long, yeah, didn't have long that term. longevity. You know, I mean, he was still a goalie for the, for the Bruins for a long period of time. I want to say it was at least, uh, what was it like eight or nine seasons? He was there, you know, you know, it bits and pieces, but he didn't really achieve that kind of level of, of greatness until the tail end of it, maybe for three, four years. I want to say, I, I think he won a Vesna and I think it was 2007, 2008 or 2008, 2009. One of those two years he won the Vesna and he ends up the next year losing his job to Rask, and then he comes back and he has that historic season where he goes on that run. So absolutely, you can make a case for him. I, again, it's hard to pick just two, and that's that's the thing. I mean, you could argue that Tiny yeah. Thompson, Tiny Thompson back in the day, you know, the guy who I believe was right before Frank Brimzek took over to make this team. Who at the time when there was original six teams was one of the best of the goalies to ever play. I mean, Terry Sachuk played for the Bruins. You had all these guys, these great goalies that have come through here. But at the end of the day, you can only pick two. Yeah. So I thought that was super interesting on the goalie side of things. So I'm definitely in alignment with you there. The Bruins defense though, I think it was pretty well slam dunked on the selections mm-hmm. that they made. I mean, we've great. had so many amazing defensemen come through this franchise, probably like our, the Bruins Mount Rushmore, if, like if they were to have one, it would be like four out of five of those faces would be defensemen, mm-hmm. and then throw Patrice Bergeron up there probably. Um, I mean they they selected Ray Bork, obvious Zdeno Chara, which is really interesting that a guy that signed with us in free agency has become such a uh, you know a core thread in longevity in Bruins history. Yeah, um, Dick Clapper. Uh, what a name! What a legendary name, Dit Clapper. Yep. Um, Bobby Orr and um, Shore. So Eddie Shore. So yeah, you can't really go wrong there on the defense. I have no qualms with their picks. Um, I'm very intrigued that David Pasternak made the list for forwards, and it's not that I don't think that he will be worthy of it by the time of his career being done. But he's still so young, and 
who knows what could happen with the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the best Bruins goal scorer I've seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the best Bruins goal scorers outside of Phil Esposito that the franchise has ever seen. But we don't know where his career trajectory is going, and I think it's a bit premature to name him to this list. And then the other one that jumped out to me that was weird is apparently a lot of voters considered Bill Cowley a lock. He was a number 10. If he's a lock for this team, why isn't his name and number retired? Like, he's not up in the the rafters at the Garden. So I'm not necessarily sure I understand that being a lock. I, I got to be honest with you. I I really didn't know much about him. I, I got to be honest with you. I, I really didn't. So when his name was announced, he's like that one name on forward that I was kind of like, whoa, where, where that's kind of out of left field. You know what I yeah, mean? Let me, like, let me look that up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I, I don't know. I it did uh, going back to the defense real quick. I, I agree with you hundred percent slam dunk. Those are all names that you expected to see. They're all legends in Bruins lore going all the way back yeah. to when the franchise started with, you know, Eddie Shore, Dick Clapper, obviously Bobby Orr was going to make the team. I don't think that, I think he, that it that wasn't even a question. Let's be honest. Right. Same with Ray right. Bork. Same thing with him. So, yeah. but yeah, Bill Cowley was the one that kind of stood out to me. I was kind of like, Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Just, just odd to me. Um, like the, he was, he was like one of the first stars in the league back in the thirties. Okay. Um, like they called him, like retroactively historically he was like the first Wayne Gretzky or whatever but he still didn't set any like scoring records he was just like a high-end high-octane player uh for the time you know as they skated like four miles an hour and that the top speed back then and yeah anyways um yeah that was the all centennial team announcement which was a, a fun little event that they did they did a whole a gala black tie event and uh looks like all the players had fun and it was a good way to kind of say, hey, you know, you're not affiliated with a piece of trash organization or amateur hour like I don't want to drag anybody, but like Columbus or something like that, where it's just, the expansion teams, you know? Yeah, you know, this is a this is a team that has a, a very storied history. It means a lot, and you know, let's get out there and, and really celebrate that. And I think they did a good job. The opening ceremony at at the opening night, I think, was really cool. They brought out, you know, the yeah. players from 2011. You know, they had Sean Thornton, they had Tuca, they had Patrice, they had Krejci, they had Chara. Um, Big Z. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't have Chris Kelly come out. I know he was a, you know, he's a coach with us, but yep. he was on that team. He could have gone out with them. Um, they could have had McQuaid go out with them too, who's also one of our player. Developed. They probably didn't want to have staff go out there. And yeah. They wanted to keep them focused on the game. But um, who else was Tim Thomas was there. Yeah. Um, it's funny how he's kind of reemerged, huh? In the last year or so. He's good for him, man. Around, right? It is great. It's great to see him back. Yeah, it really is. I know he was struggling a lot with like mental health stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, concussion symptoms that were putting him in a dark place. But it really seems that USA hockey and the Bruins have gotten him back involved. And, you know, he's, uh, he's back in new England now. And uh, it's really, it's really good. I, I mean, you heard Milan Lucic come out and say after the game that he hasn't heard from Tim Thomas since the, uh, the webinar thing, the yeah. Zoom meeting that they had the, um, 
but yeah, it was uh, it was really cool to see all these guys back. And then they also had like members of the '72 team in, mm-hmm. which is also really cool. Like I didn't know Jerry Cheevers was like this portly old man now, just, just having a grand old time. <laughs> yeah. Like it all makes sense, dude. Like I'm a goalie. T- I obviously am not a Hall of Fame goalie, but I'm well on my way to being that portly old man. I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great to see some of these old guys that were, you know, ambassadors of the Spoke B um and it was it was really cool my wife was away on business and she uh she was sitting down to work on some of the stuff that she had to do while she was gone and she was in her hotel room on her laptop and she had the uh the game because it was on national tv even though she was out of market she was able to watch it on tnt and she's like she texts me she's like are you tearing up yet crying about this uh, and I was like, no, actually, because I'm here with the kids, I'm driving myself nuts <laughs> and my dogs aren't letting me watch it. So I hope I will be able to enjoy the ceremony vicariously through you until I get our <laughs> kids and our dogs to calm the hell down. Oh, I feel that, too, so much. I feel that so much. It, it, it is great to see all the old timers going out there like like Derek Sanderson. You know, you hear the backstory, you know his whole thing with Bobby Orr and how Derek Sanderson, you know, was in a really bad way. And, you know, his teammate Bobby Orr kind of took him under his wing, got him on his feet and basically saved his life. And, you know, you you hear all those stories and you see all these guys continually come back to the garden for these ceremonies. It's, it's, it's awesome. I'm a very nostalgic person. So seeing that kind of stuff always kind of just, it always hits me. So it's great to see. It's a great event. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't care for in terms of the centennial, I don't care for the whole marketing stuff that they're doing with it, with the merch and, and, and everything. But in terms of celebrating the history of the team and bringing these players back and, you know, around and having them around and having these types of ceremonies, I'm all in for it. I love it. I love seeing Bobby Orr come into the, you know, Johnny Busick, the old timers, all these guys. I love seeing it. And, you know, I hope we get to see more of it as the, as the year goes on. Yeah, I'm definitely right there with you. And I know that they're going to have a bunch of more a bunch more uh events going on. They uh they've been very adamant that hey, don't be too distressed that you missed the opening night, you know. They're having those era nights where each mm-hmm. one of those nights they're going to honor those specific periods of time and I know you don't really care for the marketing side of things and the merch, but I got an email yesterday saying, "Hey, for the first era night, guess what? We've got special you know merch for this era and i was looking (laughs) through it some of it's pretty fucking sweet like the first era night is the early years so it's like real vintage stuff like they're really scraping the uh you know the really deep cuts there on uh, on some of this stuff they had a hat that was pretty sweet a nice snapback obviously they didn't wear snapbacks back in the 20s (laughs) and 30s but um it it was pretty cool and then if you go on one of the era nights you get a pennant from that era so That's you'll go sweet. home with with one of the pennants. And if anybody doesn't know, I have a wonderful man cave Bruins Den that I've kind of put together. You don't say. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> like it a lot. I, I mean, people people pull me up on stream and see it behind me. And they're, I had one guy who was like, is that a green screen? Like, is that something you found online and you just put it? Be- I was like, no, dude, this is all all natural. It's all real. It's, and it's mine. He's like, holy shit, dude, that's fucking sweet. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm excited. I actually have tickets in my 11 game plan to go to three of those games. There's that's like awesome. a total of 
five of the Aaron Knights. So I'm only going to miss two. So I have three of the banners. I'll probably have to go on like Facebook Marketplace or eBay to get the other two and have the collection. But um, but yeah, it's it's really cool. I'm I'm looking forward to getting involved and seeing it myself. I'm still waiting on my jerseys that I ordered. Um, my boy Ben over at Sports Stitch is working on that. My Linus Olmark and and my uh, uh, Milan Lucic sweater. So looking forward to that. Um, you want to break down the games, the opening night game against Chicago? Let's do it. All right, sweet. So opening night, Bruins are taking on the Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, do you know who's affiliated with the Chicago Blackhawks now? Connor Bedard? Is that does that name ring a bell? That's that name does sound familiar. Yeah, who's that guy? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I may have to do some research on him. I mean, they, they, they didn't say his name enough on the broadcast to – you know, to give me an actual idea who he is, you know, I do. Do yeah. you have any idea? Oh, I started drinking every time I heard his name <laughs> and I didn't, I wasn't alive to see the end of the game. So uh, <laughs> obviously highly touted prospect, number one overall pick Connor Bedard um, wasn't his NHL debut. He played the previous night um, against the Pittsburgh Penguins. But Bedard comes into Boston, um, his first original six matchup in his career. And, uh, of course, he's going to score his first NHL goal against the Boston Bruins on a wraparound on Linus Holmark. Um, Forever going to be ingrained in his history now. (laughs) So first take on that is like, oh, fucking course. It's going to be the Bruins that does it. And, you know, I feel like so many players get their first NHL goal against us. Um, I feel like I hear it at the beginning of every season, which is just naturally going to happen, I guess. But yeah. uh, yeah, it's uh it's a, it's a grand old time. I know, I know um, hell even Sidney Crosby's first NHL fight, I think was against Andrew Ferentz, mm-hmm. um, you know, behind the Bruins goal <laughs> back in the day. So they always have like these, you know, generational players really cutting their teeth against the Bruins. But um. It was really cool to see Bedard's skill set. I think he's got an incredibly bright future for the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, it couldn't have happened to a worse team. Um, top to bottom, what a bunch of degenerate pieces mm-hmm. of shit. Um, but uh, yeah, the fans that are over there, I guess, enjoy Connor Bedard. He's got some of the most elusive uh, releases that I've ever seen. And, you know, you probably saw Linus Allmark in that game have to fight off three or four of these shots that Bedard had that just kind of the save looked clunky. It looked like he wasn't ready for it and he wasn't able to really handle the rebound. And that's just because Bedard is able to, you know, kind of from anywhere, just get this shot on and get it on quickly. And it it catches a lot of goalies by surprise. Uh, I think, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I think a lot of it too, first game, you know, you're going to see, you know, some of that kind of that rough, I don't want to say that clunky, clunky type saves early on in the season for, you know, goaltenders, you know, before they get into their, um, you know, into their groove, so to speak, you know, once they get in, get some games under their belt, start feeling the puck a little bit better. I think you'll see that, but no doubt Connor Bedard, I mean, he's going to be, he's most highly touted prospect since Connor McDavid, you know, eight years ago when he came out and he's a generational type player and it's going to be interesting to see you know his career trajectory in Chicago I mean we all know that Chicago's had their share problems over the last you know 
we'll say half decade or so, you know, as the other core got old and, you know, amidst all their allegations that went on in that organization as well, which we won't get into, but you know, as far from the Bruins standpoint, I mean, they looked, they looked really good in this game. You know, I mean, there was a lot, a lot to, to, you know, really break down and, you know, seeing some of these kids make their NHL debuts like Johnny Beecher and Matty Patra, you know, and really hold their own. It, it was very encouraging to see. Yeah, I agreed. And I'd, I'd have to echo your sentiments there. The Bruins were the better team throughout the game. Chicago, you know, they drew first blood with that Bedard goal and TNT collectively had a circle jerk for like 15 minutes. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> um, but then it wasn't long. I think it, it was like, yeah, five minutes after Bedard got that. Who else? Everyone, everyone knew this was coming. Trent Frederick was the one that would score <laughs> the, the first goal of the Bruins season. And in his, in his credit, it was a nice tip, man. Mm-hmm. It was a, this is going to be, I said this before the season, this is going to be a year where they're going to have to fight tooth and nail to score goals. If your name is not David Pasternak, like, and, and Trent Frederick got to the, the soft area of the ice, Matt, Matt Potra goes into the corner turns tightly finds brandon carlo trailing and carlo takes no time which is good because when he thinks about things in the offensive zone it's a bad situation yeah Yeah. don't don't think brando just get rid of it so he just fires it and freddie gets a tip on it and it goes uh behind who's the kid the kid in in soderblom soderblom yeah bloom i don't know how to say kid his looked name, great dude he deep played a really good game awesome yeah he was fantastic for the blackhawks he gave him a chance to win but uh it was a perfect tip got by uh Soderblom and uh yeah the game was tied um but yeah like i said first nhl point for for matt potra off that goal first goal of the year and the kid gets a, a point on it mm-hmm. can't ask for a better start I don't think we can send him back even after nine games. I think that he's earned his at least three C role. So mm-hmm. um, in, in the second period, defense settled down. Offense was continuing to generate pressure. Fourth line looked really good. Mm-hmm. John Beecher in his NHL debut. Fantastic. My, my fourth line that I called on the first day of camp, by the way. Absolutely. Check it. Check the records there. That That's was the true. fourth line I wanted. Um Takes a hit, does or, or delivers a hit that I don't think was very good. Yep. Um, Question. He saw numbers all the way, and he buried the Chicago Blackhawks player. I don't remember who it was, but um, one of the Blackhawks. I can remember these guys. One of the Blackhawks skates in and, and is looking for retribution for the hit. And most former first round players, and or especially a rookie in the NHL. They would just fold up and just fall to the ice and try to draw a penalty when somebody came at him. John Beecher, in his defense, he stood up there and, and he took some shots, but man, he he threw a few back too. And mm-hmm. you know, they they talked to Lucic after the game, and Lucic's like, you know, proud of the kid. You know, he definitely has some things he can work on, and I'll work <laughs> on him with, with him uh, in practice. But uh, but yeah, get on him, and it got the boys in the crowd going, and and we loved it. So yeah, shout out to John Beecher and your debut dropping the mitts and uh you know really becoming a Boston Bruin. And um yeah, after that the Bruins cruised through. Pasta had a wrist shot that hit the net and then two to one game late in the third. Set up Brad by Lucic. M- Set up by Lucic too on that's that. That's right. Yep. 
yeah, shout out to Andrew at Short Shift Podcast who thinks Lucic is a a big goof that shouldn't have been signed. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, <laughs> I said this before the season. I was like, "All right, Brad Marchand, you're the guy now. The spotlight is off of Patrice. It's now on you. Stop being unselfish. It's your job to put the puck in the net." And here he goes again down the fucking ice, and there's an empty net. And he's like, oh, David Pasternak's with me. I want to make sure he gets the gold, not me. Like, I understand being a good teammate and being a buddy and, and everything. But for fuck's sakes, I really would have preferred you just to put that in the net. Like, I have seen it so many times where they try to get cute and try mm-hmm. to do the right thing for their team. And uh, they miss the net or the defender somehow breaks it up because you were trying to force a pass. Like, if I'm Jim Montgomery, I say, that's nice of you and all. Knock that shit off. If you have a chance to put the puck in the net, put the puck in the net. They're, they're notorious for for making one too many passes. It's been like that kind of that MO for the past four or five years where it's like, you just take the shot. They make that one extra pass. I know the situation is different when the net's empty, but like, yeah, I agree. You just do what's best for your team and just end the game. Put it in the net, reduce the risk of anything bad happening, and just 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 end the game. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, great for great to give Pasta another goal for his total, pad the stats a little bit, and I'm guessing that's what Martian was trying to do for Pasta. But at the end of the day, you know, you play a real team, like a good team that's like established and ready to go in the middle of the season. It's going to bite you in the ass. It's going to happen. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, if Toronto rolls up, or even hell, like Ottawa looks tough to start the season, and yep. Detroit looks pretty good. I mean, Detroit just knocked off Tampa in their home opener. Mm-hmm. Like we can't, you, you can't afford to dick around. So put them away, bury them if you have the chance. Step on the throat, all those things. But um, it was great to open up the season with a uh, a win. A win is a win is a win. Two points is two points. Um, some it, of the Centennial fanfare died off after that. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it was interesting to see a couple of old faces, you know, come to town with the Blackhawks with Taylor Hall and. Nick yeah, Foligno, that's a good point. You know, I yeah. mean, I think Taylor Hall did get hurt in this game, ended up leaving. Uh, and, you know, seeing Nick Felino wearing the A for the Blackhawks was definitely, uh, you know, a different sight. And, you know, I think, I think, I think it worked out for, you know, at least for him being there and, you know, getting his money and being, having an increased role, because let's be honest on this Bruins team, he would have done really no good being a, you know, in that fourth line role, which is what he would have been in if he had been here. But, yeah, it was good to see those two guys out there playing. Obviously, it wasn't good to see, you know, Taylor Hall get hurt. Yeah, I was actually listening to Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. And if you don't know, they're based out of Toronto. So they are exposed to a lot of Canadian media. And if you don't know this, I'm going to blow your mind. The Bruins are recently chosen as the most hated team in the NHL by non-Bruins fans. Color me you know, they, they hate us because they ain't us. Um but uh, these guys on SiriusXM, they were like, do you think that Brandon Carlo should be receiving supplemental discipline for his hit on Taylor Hall that injured him in the opening game? I'm like, there wasn't even a penalty on the play. And, and I'm not saying that's the barometer because there's sometimes issues where the ref just doesn't see things and it's not a reviewable play. And I understand that. But this is this is not anything close that that required supplemental discipline. Like, mm-hmm. and it sucks that Taylor Hall is hurt. And originally the 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 diagnosis came out, and they said, "Oh yeah, it looks week to week." Um, 
but actually just a f- couple days ago, I think Taylor Hall was already back on the ice and, you know, the coach for the Blackhawks, Luke Richardson was saying it was like a miraculous healing situation. <laughs> um, so it looks like Taylor Hall will be back sooner than, than later, thankfully. But uh, yeah, some of that, that Canadian media, I don't know what the hell, what the hell they have in their Kool-Aid up there, but yikes. you hear it all the time. You hear it all the time coming out of there, all that stuff about you know is that a questionable hit you you hear the complaining all the time and i don't know if it's just because it's dominated from toronto and montreal where you is they're notorious for complaining about about this kind of stuff i yeah it's it's just it's it's it is what it is like let them complain as far as i'm concerned let them be like whine and do their whole thing because at the end of the day it doesn't matter their 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 teams are subpar and will never win anything and they can. They got to find something to complain about that doesn't have to do with their teams. Yeah, ain't that the truth? The other thing that I thought was really funny from this game was, and and Elliot Friedman and and Jeff Merrick talked a bit about it on their podcast. Um, you know how Bedard was facing some of the top superstars in the NHL, and they both had their own way of making his life a little difficult. His own welcome to the NHL moment. You know, Sidney Crosby basically beats the shit out of him at the faceoff dot when mm-hmm. he's playing against the Penguins and just won't let him have the puck at all. And yet Brad Marchand gets into his face and they they have they, they tie up in front of the benches and you know how Marchand does this. Oh, yeah. He's done it to a few players before. Oh, yeah. I think he did Not it to new. like a, th- a thin CU in the past um, when he was on Detroit. But uh, yeah, he, he ties up Bedard to the stick and goes for a line change and Bedard is just along for the ride and Bedard's almost dragged into into the Bruins bench and you know the announcers all got a kick out of it and it was it was very very humorous I was I was actually kind of surprised Bedard didn't show a little fire and like start pushing at at Brad Marchand or punch or anything but you know I guess that's not his game uh maybe maybe give him half a season or so under his belt. Maybe you'll see him start fighting back. I mean, he's only in the second game. He's an 18 year old kid going up against Brad Marchand at 35 year old dude. I maybe you'll see him start pushing back there, but I mean, that's, that's just gamemanship from, from Brad Marchand. Like you said, we've seen it in the past and it's not just him going out. If, if it had been anybody else there, I'm sure he would have done the same thing. I'm, I don't think it would have mattered if it was Connor Bedard, a rookie, or you know Taylor Hall or Nick Foligno for that matter. You might have gotten more pushback if he had done it to one of those guys. But at the end yeah. of the day, he's going to do what he's going to do. Yeah, and the other thing that I noticed is that, and, and this probably comes as a result of Bergeron's departure, but the power play is now drastically different because mm-hmm. they don't have Patrice in that bumper. Um it looks like Pasta is going to be taking a lot more wristers or snapshots this year. Not that one-timer bomb from the circle that's kind of become, you know, synonymous with him and, and Alex Ovechkin. Um, I feel like Pasta somehow become a little bit more deceptive with his release as well. Um, I mean, that goal that that broke the tie against Chicago, um, just an absolutely gorgeous snap wrist shot that went right over the pad and under the glove and um i just think based on what i saw on that one and in the national game that we're going to cover next um i feel like his wrister is even even harder to track than what it was before yeah i mean it's it's definitely a good development in his game i mean like you said 
we're so we're so used to seeing him and on the power play especially just being kind of wide open on that wing and the puck ends up on a stick one timer and it finds the top shelf goes right over the goalie so it's good to see him kind of adapt his game and you know a good good start let's hope he can continue it over the course of a full season and you know it's it's great to see, it's great to see him really kind of understand that his role has to change a little bit obviously you lose a guy with the ability of Patrice Bergeron as a centerman, not only in, you know, five on five situations, but on the power play, it's, it's great to see. And you, you want to continue to see that from, from your superstar players, not just Pasternak, all of them, Marshan, Marshan Agreed. included. Agreed. Yeah. So that, that's a good breakdown of game one. Bruins win three to one. Um, Linus Allmark gets his full, first win of the season. Looked a little shaky to start with, but I think on the second and third period, Linus really settled down. And got back into that that um, style and stance that really worked well for him last year. Good to see him in uh, in the new pads, and great to see the new you know heritage alternate jersey. So every time you see that Bedard highlight package, that'll be his first career goal. You're going to see those Bruins alternates. So real quick before we move on, yeah, what yeah. color were those helmets? Brown. They look black to me. They they're such a dark brown. I mean, granted, I do have a little bit of colorblindness, so I for the longest time thought they were black until I saw a close up and it was like a dark brown. Seeing yeah. those helmets with that kit, I was like, something just doesn't look right when they're on the ice. There, I would have almost rather have seen a white helmet with that setup. I think that the brown was the right play, but I think they did like too dark of a brown. And if it was lighter, your, absolutely, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think that they didn't quite take into account the contrast between the white ice surface and the darkness of the brown it really it, on tv it looks black it looks like there's like black stripes on the shoulder black helmets um black everything but in reality it's it's brown so um yeah i would have liked to see them go like a few shades lighter on the helmet there um it would have made the whole kit look a lot better but um absolutely the home jerseys look good too on the ice. I think mm-hmm. um, the Centennial home sweaters. So, speaking of, they wore those last night against the Nashville Predators. Um, Bees ended up pulling off the dub uh, three to two, and holy smokes! I wasn't able to watch the first half of the game because I was working, but I had a uh, a wonderful coworker Matt show or coworker a wonderful um, you know patron at the brewery show up and. Uh, he uh, was able to put the game on while I was working, and I was able to catch a little bit of it. But what a what a penalty filled affair that was for the <laughs> I Bruins! Know, I know. Oh my God, they would not put the whistle away. It was like the refs thought that every one of those fans at TD Garden were there to see them. You know, you're gonna see that. It's still early in the season for the referees too, so I I, I do tend to give them a little bit of a. Uh, uh, of a pass, so to speak. I, I didn't really, I didn't get to see any of this game. I only got to catch the highlights. I was unfortunately working with the ability to be able to watch the game. Um, but yeah, I dude, Bruins had what, like seven, seven penalty kills situations that they had. Yep. And th- th- that's, a, that's absurd. That's absurd. You know, you look at the whole thing, you know, across the whole board, it's like, wow, like the refs really tried to insert themselves in, into this one. And again, without any context to, you know, what caused those penalties all to be called, it, 
on the surface, it looks like, yeah, you're spot on that the rest are just trying to put insert themselves and make a spectacle of themselves in this one. Yeah, and I'm not advocating for putting the whistle away. I believe that if there is a penalty that needs to be called, if there's an infraction made, it, it needs to be called. Um, I think that a lot of these calls, after watching some of the highlights, were borderline at best. And I think you can opt on the side of not making those calls if they're borderline. But um yeah, the Bruins had seven penalties. Uh sorry, the the Predators had seven power play opportunities and they went 0 for 7. Does that sound familiar from our power play last year? It's encouraging. It's very encouraging to see that that penalty kill is is picking up right at the start of the season to continue, you know, being that kind of that shutdown force and I and I hope that continues. You know, going just real quick, going back to talking about the refs there for a second. I got no problem with them, you know, putting the whistle away and letting them play. As long as they're consistent across the board the entire game. They're going to call a game a certain way. If, you know, a little ticky-tack, little ticky-tack stick work hook is is not called, don't call it all game. Don't have it show up in yeah. the last four minutes of a game. So, you know, I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with that kind of that kind of officiating. But getting, getting to the Bruins, like seven penalty kills in a game without giving up giving up one. That's fantastic. That's absolutely yeah. fantastic. A fantastic stack. Obviously, seven penalties is not fantastic, but knowing that your team has to make up to go out there and kill those seven penalties is very encouraging moving forward. And it's not like the same old personnel either. You know, exactly. You've got Lauco out there logging heavy PK minutes. You've got the rookie Johnny Beecher logging over four minutes of PK in this game, and and they didn't give up a goal. Like these are all really good good omens for the Bruins uh, special teams moving forward. And then you have the other side of the coin. The Bruins had three power play opportunities. And, um, you know, as many Bruins fans, when the signing was announced, declared him washed and a waste of a contract, our good friend James Van Riemsdyk, mm-hmm. our power play merchant, cashes in twice. And the Bruins scored two power play goals. One of them, you know, they don't ask how they ask how many, but he banks it in off of the defender uh, with a cross crease pass, but he was in the right place to make the play happen. And Hey, you know, those bounces are going to happen. Um, so good to see him do that. And the second goal that he had, what an absolute, once again, like I said earlier, the gritty grimy goals, just with an absolutely beautiful tip out in front and no goalie in the NHL is going to stop that. I think the only guy that probably has a better skill set in in front of the net and and you know tipping pucks. Pro- okay, I'll say two players that come to mind that are better than JVR. Number one, Chris Kreider, mm-hmm. and number two, um, holy shit, why can't I remember his name? Down in Dallas, Joe Pavelski. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. and you know for the Bruins, you know the way they have to win this year and the way that the team is built, they're going to need to rely on getting those kind of those grimy, hardworking you know, the classic clean up the garbage type goals. And if they can continue to get those from these guys, you know, the formula is going to work. So they got to continue to build on, you know, what they, what they have done in these first two games and continue, you know, to push that going forward. Yeah, I definitely agree. And then one of the most fun things to see live in sports, (laughs) a penalty shot, you know, you get a little taste of it with a shootout, but there's no actual like, 
consequence to it. They don't count as goals. Penalty shots a legit fucking goal out there, right? Mm-hmm. So David Pasternak of all players, the Bruins' top scorer, gets in alone, gets hauled down, and he's awarded a penalty shot. And he just goes down and does that wrist shot that I was alluding to earlier. It was the a puck was behind him, like behind his hip, and he was still able to whip that around and get an absolutely gorgeous shot off. And uh, right, right under the bar above the glove, it was uh, it was electric in the garden. And he did that whole "Are you not entertained?" celebration yeah. as he skates yeah. up to the glass. It was. It was top-notch stuff from Pasta there. Absolutely. And, you know, with the whole, you know, since the shootout came in, you know, what was it, like 18 18 years ago at this point, something like that. Since the shootout came in, the penalty shot has been kind of like, I don't want to say it's been devalued or like not as exciting because you see these breakaway plays on a regular basis. But when they happen in a game, they're so rare. So when they do happen, it is a very exciting pressure, anxiety-filled moment for both teams, especially, you know, if you're the goalie that you know having to face that penalty shot but you couldn't be more right about that that shot from Pasternak was beautiful right under the bar top cheese right bar down whatever word whatever slang you want to throw on it beautiful shot and the the picture that the Bruins shared of him doing the are you not entertained uh celebration you know it made me chuckle as a fan of the of the gladiator movies it's just like you see him out there he's got his got his arms up celebrating and it with a crowd going nuts in the background absolutely beautiful love it hang it in the louvre oh absolutely hang it, it up louvre, there louvre, louvre. Yep. i don't the know i'm louvre. not french louvre. hang it in the louvre she oh, asked those canadians we played on nhl last time oh yeah qc <laughs> that guy was a fucking terrible oh my god <laughs> Worst guy I've ever played with. It made me want to never play goalie in NHL again. <laughs> yeah. um, quick, uh, want to get your grade on Milan Lucic through two games? Uh, he's exceeded my expectations, you know, from what I expected from him. I mean, even just seeing him on that Pasternak goal against Chicago. Again, I didn't see the, the Predators game, so I, didn't, I don't really know much of what he did outside of that. But just seeing him involved and making me think that it's like 2014, 2015 again, you know, going down on a on a two on one with with Pasternak, setting him up beautifully for that goal. His his presence is being felt out there, and I hope he is able to continue, stay healthy, and continue to contribute the way he has in the first two games. I think he's fit his he's adjusting to his role here in a very very good way. And, you know, being one of those leaders in the locker room, you know, without a letter on his jersey, he should have an A. I'll just leave it at that. It should be one of the five A's on the team, but we'll leave it at that. Um, you say one of the 50 A's? Is that what you said? 50. I, I, said, I said 55, but, okay, you, know, thank you, you. Know, you know. That's what I thought. Semantics. So, semantics. But, no, I, <laughs> I'm very happy, to, you know, that he's here. I was one of those people that were like, dude, why are we signing him? He's – why we just play the kids. Why We don't need to add another one of these – fringe players to the roster but it's clear that they that he has a role on this team not only on the ice but in the locker room and i'm excited to see where it goes going forward yeah i think it was important in a time where we brought in a lot of veteran players that don't have you know the knowledge of what it means to be a bruin and having a player like milan lucic who had said multiple times, even when he had no more, no affiliation with the Bruins at all. And he had said in, in multiple interviews where he still considers Boston his home 
and he became a man there and he considers it where he grew up and he still loves the Bruins and loves Boston. And he found himself following the Patriots and the Red Sox, even though he's playing in fucking Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he understands how special sports are in Boston and he understands how special it is to be a Boston Bruin and bringing in a guy like that, that can, you know, be that internal ambassador to make sure our, our team here in Boston isn't just another stop where players just collect a paycheck and it's just a job. You know, being a Bruin is a special thing, and Milan Lucic had experienced that, and he can he can tell that story to, you know, a James Van Riemsdyk or a Kevin Shattenkirk or a Morgan Geeky or, you know, whoever else that maybe haven't had exposure to what this franchise is like. And I, I think you're right. You know, there should be an alternating alternate captain. And and Lucic, because of what he does, not just on the ice where he's backing his teammates up and in all physical altercations, he's obviously a, a vocal leader in the room as well. And and I think that that should be recognized formally by the team for his contributions. And uh, he, he absolutely is worthy of an A. Man, you hit the nail on the head. Like, he's very, very happy to be here. You've seen it kind of all over the place if you're on social media. He's very happy to be back here. He takes pride in being a Boston Bruin. And, and like you said, you got these veterans that have come in here. They're collecting around one-year deals for a million bucks and maybe trying to rejuvenate their careers a little bit. And you kind of bring in a yeah. guy like, like Lucic that's going to not only – he wants to rejuvenate his career a little bit, but at the same time, he's going to help, you know, a team that lost a lot of their old time leadership in the last couple of years, kind of go through that transition year that we've talked about, uh, you know, in terms of the leadership department and be another voice for that, you know, not only for those guys that are veterans, but the kids like Matthew Patra, Johnny Beecher, Jacob, Jakob Blocko, all those guys, which is just going to be a, you know, kind of, a big piece in terms of the leadership group to developing these guys to be a, you know, a prototypical Boston Bruin type player. Absolutely. And can I just say how amazing it is to hear the garden yelling Luch again? It is. Oh my God, dude. Like when I went to that preseason game and I heard Luch, I mean, it's a preseason. It was, it was a very good preseason crowd, but it's still a preseason crowd. And we still got, a really deep and it just it, it's cathartic it's better um than what i remembered and since we don't have tuca anymore the two we didn't have anybody else better. that we could do it for the yeah, two good, is better good backup goalie chant for sure <laughs> um on the goalie topic we're picking right up where we left off last year with the rotation Linus Allmark gets his win in game one. Uh, Jeremy Swayman plays fantastic, by the way, in game two. Swayman was lights out on the PK, especially. Um, Both goalies had great performances, and, and it looks like they're continuing right where they left off. We're two for two on goalie hugs. Um, what, what's your take on the goaltending performance so far? We don't need to talk about the hugs. If I see another, another tweet or another message to me that says, Oh, two for two, two for 82 goalie hugs. I'm going to lose my effing mind. Like they're goalies. Like they won a game. Good. We don't need to count wins based on seeing the goalie hug. Like 
I'm tired of it. It's been two years. Come up with something new. Going back to the goalies, you know, like you said, picking right up where they left off last year. I think you're going to expect to see a bit of the same thing until one of them either goes cold or, or one of them really seizes the oppor- seizes the job. I still maintain the fact that they may end up regretting not trading one of their goalies. And I may be wrong on this. I may be wrong at the end of the day. I know what the trade market was in the offseason. They weren't going to get fair value for their goalies. So at the end of the day, kind of happy they didn't trade one. And I'm still not ruling out that they're going to trade one of them down the road. But I think they're going to set themselves up for the same kind of problems come playoff time, you know, depending where they are in the picture. If, you know, they don't kind of commit to one over the other more so. And I'm not saying commit to one guy and play him 65, 70 games of the season. That's not what I'm saying. But I do want to see this season, I want to see one of these guys, whether it's Olmark or it's Swayman, kind of start uh, you know, building the gap between the two of them. You know what I mean? I want to see one of them start seeing, oh, I'm going to give this guy two games in a row, and then we'll go back to the other one. And then I'll start seeing three games in a row, we'll go back to one. So I want to see that. I don't want to see one alternate kind of the whole season. I don't want to see that. I don't think that's good for I don't think that's good for them. I don't think it's going to be good for the team, you know, in the long run. I want to see one of these goalies kind of seize that job and be kind of that one A. I don't want to see a, uh, uh, an, an even split where it was kind of like last year where it seemed like it was almost 50-50. I don't want to see that. I want to see more of a 60-40, 60, 65-35 yeah. kind of split. That's, that's, that's where I want to see the goalies go. But at the end of the day, through two games – you're still seeing what you saw last year. I know Swayman, you know, the numbers and everything. He Again, I didn't see the game, but he did give up an early goal. That was kind of a thing for him last year where he'd give up an early goal in a game. And obviously in this game on Saturday, he settled down and the team was able to, you know, recover from it. I just don't, I, I worry that if that continues and that becomes kind of his MO, that we could have a bit of a problem once they start facing the, you know, the top teams in the league. Yeah, I mean, we've hashed this out before, but I think if that if they're going to continue with this rotation, 1A, 1B, you can't just flip a switch and expect a different result if you go to a legit one situation in the postseason. If you're going to continue doing the rotation, you need to do the rotation through the postseason, in my opinion. If not, if you're going to name one guy the, the starter, you're exactly right, Burge. Start doing it now. You know, give him the experience and you know, the, the, you know, just going through those rotations and, um, you know, it can't be an alien concept when it matters more than it ever did in the season. And that really bit us in the ass. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, like this tandem is not going to last forever. I mean, you're going to want to move one of these goalies when you can get the value for them in return, having two of your best assets, one of them not playing every night is not, a, a good man, you know, asset management. And in, in my opinion, I, I really do believe that at some point they're going to have to make a decision on who it's going to be. And they're going to end up having to move one of them. And then what are you going to do if you're going to be in a situation where you, well, let's just say they keep swimming. I mean, you know where I stand on the whole thing, but let's just say, you know, for argument's sake, they keep swimming. If he's not built to be that number one goalie, by the time Linus Omar is shipped out of town or leaves town, you know, whether it's the end of this year or the end of next year when Omar's contract is up, you know, that 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 could be that could hinder his development. So at the end of the day, I want to see one of these guys 
I don't want to say grasp the job fully, but I want to see one of them pull ahead of the other in, in enough of a way to where you're going to start seeing that gap and starts grow. Whether it's two, whether it's three, whether it's four to one, whatever. But I want to start seeing that trend grow over time. Yeah, and I think that they are on the precipice of making that decision sooner rather than later because Brandon Bussey's not looking bad at all. Mm-hmm. He's played he played probably the best out of any goalie in the preseason in his one game that he had the whole game. Mm-hmm. Um, was absolutely lights out. Probably had the save of the entire league in the preseason. Absolutely. Um, he's an NHL goalie, and right now he has two legit, probably number one NHL goalies in front of him. He has probably the biggest obstacle to playing in the NHL in the entire league out of any AHL goalie right now. So the kid is absolutely worthy of getting an opportunity, and it's just not going to happen. And to your point, the Bruins can use a significant chunk of the salary of one of those goalies towards bolstering the roster elsewhere if you can bring in Bussy on like a you know NHL minimum salary deal. Not to mention so, the assets that they can get in return for one of these guys. The draft assets that they could get in return for one of these guys yeah. is going to replenish all of the, if not all, most of the assets that they traded away to build the team last year. Start rebuilding that farm system. Yeah. Start, start You'll be able those- to get a first-round yeah. pick at least, and probably a first and third for either of these guys. Absolutely. So, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I think that they need to wait until the season's done before they make that decision. Tell Brian and Bussy, hey, we're going to make room for you, but you need to be patient, grind it out, win a fucking Calder Cup with Providence. Like, mm-hmm. we stacked this team for you this year. Show us that you can, you know, win the pressure's highest, go out there and perform in the postseason. Because here in Boston, we plan on making the postseason every year. And if, you know, the goalie that we keep, whether that's Linus or Jeremy, if one of them go down, we need to have the confidence that you can step in there and perform when the pressure's highest. Mm-hmm. So show us what you can do in Providence and uh we'll make it a room for we'll make room for you next season. So we'll see how it goes. Um wanted to before we wrap this episode, we're running out of time here. Um we wanted to talk football. At least I did. You probably oh. don't. Patriots lose again. <sighs> they are now one and five on the season. Um, Mac Jones had a couple good throws where I was like, holy shit, is that really Mac Jones? And then he would make a complete fucking mental gaffe the very next play. And I was like, yeah, that, that's Mac Jones. Um, instant analysis from today's game, Burge, go. The team sucks. The team from top to bottom sucks. It's it's almost hard to watch it every week. Like I, I look forward to Sundays to watch watching Patriots football. It's been a pastime of mine. So like I told you earlier, I'm nostalgic. So I like, like thinking back to the good times when, you know, they were winning all the time. And even before that, when they weren't as a kid and now it's just, it's, it's so hard to watch. They just look so inept in every facet of the game. And like, like to your point about Mac Jones, yes, he made a couple of good throws today, especially at the end of the game, one that should have been caught. Should have been caught. They win the game. That that Devontae Parker makes that catch. They win the game. They kick a field goal. They win the game there. And hits off his fingers, which wide receivers have to catch those balls. They have to catch them. And Perfectly thrown ball. Perfectly thrown ball. You cannot blame Mac for that at all. It was a probably the best throw I've seen him have all season. And it was dropped. 
And what do they do after that? They take a delay game penalty because they weren't ready to go. And then a play after that, they get sacked for a safety. So, like, this team, top to bottom, the coaching, the players, the lack of talent, it's just – it's it's a hard watch right now, and I don't see it getting any better. I think that these two games were, you know, last week against the Saints and this week against the Raiders were games that the team needed to win, should have been at least competitive in. They were competitive today to an extent, but – I think we are approaching the end of Bill Belichick's time in New England, unfortunately, because I still believe he's a good coach. I just think that the stuff and the crap that he's been surrounding himself with to his own fault has really, really hurt him. And I don't see a way that they can get out of it. Mac Jones has got to go. I mean, he had an absolutely atrocious interception in this game when they were driving, took all the momentum away from them. And, you know, bad teams or good teams overcome and don't put themselves in situations where they need to rely on a less than talent, less than ideal target to, you know, make a play late in the game. Good, good teams don't do that. They don't do that. And especially against teams like the Raiders, maybe against the top team in the league, but against a team like the Raiders who were, again, Josh McDaniels was probably coaching for his job today too, and probably just secured himself a job you know, going forward, at least the rest of the season to our primetime Tommy's, you know, disdain as we we've, we've talked about quite frequently, but at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's not a good place. You know, if, if you guys want to check out the, uh, the NFL pod breaking the plane, we'll be, uh, we'll be breaking that down, you know, this week for you episode will drop on Thursday and the three of us are Patriots fans and we're, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, Patriots are, are no longer, uh, can't miss TV. It's, uh, it's now much must miss TV. So mm-hmm. I'm, uh, uh, I'm out, I'm out on the Pats. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. I'll be sitting there watching every week. I'm a big football fan. And obviously, cause I want to have something to talk about on my podcast. So I'll be there and, uh, I'll be, you know, drink it away. Drinking the yeah. sorrows away. <laughs> Hashtag no beers safe. Yes. Tap in all those things. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. That's going to wrap us up for this episode. So I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Bursch, thanks for joining as absolutely. always, my friend. Um, we'll be back at it next week. Um, fuck the Bruins schedule. They're not going to be back underway until West Coast games on Thursday night. Um, and then again on Saturday. So if you're planning on watching some games live, expect some sleep deprivation. Um, but we'll be uh, we'll be back with you next week. Absolutely. Pleasure. Have a good week, man. All right, guys. Peace. See you next time.